Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. My name is Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite subjects. That's right, it's YouTube itself. Before we do, however, I did want to just have a small celebratory statement here. It is episode 400 here of Virtual Legality, started in late 2018. We're pretty happy about hitting this milestone, and thank you so much for checking out the channel, especially if this is your first time. I hope you enjoy it, and we've got a lot to talk about today, because a YouTuber by the name of The Spiffing Brit that was referred to me by a number of commenters, both here on YouTube and elsewhere in my social media sphere, has put together a video that has become very popular entitled the YouTube algorithm glitch, the secret YouTube exploit, dash, YouTube is a perfectly balanced website, which I can only presume is SEO modified in order to get more hits for this type of video. Obviously, if you've been watching me try to title my videos, it's not necessarily something that we're terribly good at here in virtual legality. But the point of this video was that this individual, the spiffing Brit with his almost 2 million subscribers, had determined that the community post feature on YouTube was at least somewhat broken. This is a 20 minute video, but he explains that the YouTube algorithm is designed to hit you with search answers based on a video's title and its topic and its description and all these various things that don't appear in the community tab. So he put together this community post after having watched it for a period of time and just put in a bunch of SEO words in order to get the YouTube computers, the bots, to pick it up and serve it to everyone. It looked a little bit like this. Help break YouTube by liking this poll. Simply vote in the poll and like the post and we will exploit a glitch in the YouTube algorithm. How will it get shown to everyone? Simple. If I include all of the algorithmically correct trending terms in this message, then YouTube will show it to everyone. So time for some perfectly balanced SEO that breaks the algorithm. We can include terms like baby shark and PewDiePie to really broaden the audience, etc., etc., etc. And you can see how this goes. And he put this in a video and it had 652,000 votes on this poll alone with 246,000 likes. And a number of people said, hey, Rick, you got to do this. You got to increase the growth of your channel by doing this particular thing. In fact, the spiffing Brit in his video says, make thousands of subscribers become popular. Help me break the YouTube algorithm for what is claimed in the Spiffing Brits video, an altruistic purpose. If this is as broken as it is, then the big companies can use it to use their SEO analysts and put together posts like this one in order to control the YouTube algorithm in a fashion that really doesn't actually give to people what they are most likely to be interested in. So because I thought that was an interesting angle to take, I decided to put that post up to see how it went. If there is a problem with the waiting, then I think it's something that needs to be outed and corrected. And I think it's important to do those kinds of things. And my community was pretty adamant. And so we put it up. I did know in general, I don't favor these kinds of things that has a kind of viral Facebook post quality to it. But as a number of you have asked, we can run this experiment courtesy of the spiffing. Brett and I put together a slightly modified version of this with the poll and to some extent, I'm happy this is the case. It didn't appear to be any larger than my normal polling. You see here 1.3,000 votes. Most of the people who actually looked at this post were actually subscribed to the channel already. Very few saying, who are you? And we're just getting this randomly. And if you look at prior posts that I have done that have asked people questions, you can see 
the most recent one that I did five months ago, 1.6 thousand votes, a very similar number in which my community utterly failed to answer the question 10 to 20 minutes or 20 to 30 minutes. They just don't like the super long ones. And unfortunately, legal documents sometimes take a super long time to discuss. But one of the things that a lot of people asked, and one of the reasons that I actually did this was to help talk about the question of, is this kind of thing illegal? The spiffing Brit, I think, generally, altruistically so, has gone out and said, hey, I think this thing is broken. This thing is broken in a fashion that could really harm, especially smaller and mid-ranged YouTube channels, like virtual legality, it should be noted. And I want you to go out with this language that I've proposed in order to show YouTube that there is, in fact, an issue. And maybe by the time you get to my post, it's already been corrected and there isn't that kind of big bump up. But a lot of people said, Rick, if you're doing that, if you're trying to break YouTube, if you're trying to quote unquote, exploit the algorithm in some fashion for which it doesn't appear to be intended. Is that action illegal? And I thought that was a great jumping off point for this, the 400th episode of Virtual Legality to talk about with you all, especially you that might be YouTubers and are looking at these kinds of things and have seen 600 polls go up on your homepage and on YouTube in general over the last 24 or 48 hours since the spiffing Brit put up his video. And in order to talk about it, we actually have to talk about what it means to be illegal right? So I've pulled up just an ordinary dictionary definition from Google that says, contrary to or forbidden by law, especially criminal law, but I think illegal to most of us intuitively, whether or not you're a lawyer or not, means against the law, that you could be put in jail for this thing, that the government could get very angry at you for this thing. And if that is your definition, then what we are talking about when we talk about breaking something like YouTube is usually not going to be quote unquote illegal. It would instead be more likely a breach of contract. Now you might also say, Rick, well, if I breach my contract and they sue me for it, now I'm interacting with the law. I'm in front of a judge. I'm in front of a jury. A court somewhere is deciding on how much money I owe to someone else or whether I should be allowed to do something or have to stop doing it. And I would say, yes, Contract law lives in this very odd space, if you really think about it, in which two private parties can set their own rules of engagement, and if one or another breaches that specific set of rules, then they can go to a third party in our government, the court system, and say, court, I would like you to use your powers to enforce this contract against the party that did me harm. So contract law is not the law. It's not the law of the land. You or I are not bound by somebody else's contract, but we as taxpayers and we as society members in general help give the resources necessary to a third party, the court system, the business courts in some states that will actually go and enforce these private legal regimes. So is it illegal to breach a contract? No, that's probably not the right term for it, but you can certainly wind up owing money and to have bad things happen to you. Now, there are, of course, obsessions, uh, exceptions, not obsessions, to these kinds of rules. And we see one in the DMCA, right? The circumvention of copyright protection systems. If you are talking about trying to break YouTube by hacking in to their secured servers and changing things that are otherwise copyright protected or doing other very nefarious things by hacking into locked doors and backdooring other things and uh, all these sorts of terms that are going to be better understood by people more technologically inclined than myself, then yes, you can actually be acting illegally, just like breaking and entering. But that's not what we're really talking about 
when we're talking about the spiffing Brit here. Spiffing Brit says, hey, they are weighting community posts wrongly. It can advantage bigger companies more than it can advantage medium companies. And it's not getting people what they need to see in respect of these actual posts. So let's see if we can't break it. That is distinct from hacking in to something, changing the variables of how YouTube operates in some fundamental fashion. So we aren't really talking about that. Instead, we're talking about contract law. And if we go and we look in California, which is what the YouTube terms of service that we're about to take a look at actually are based around is California law, you see that the court system basically says, we'll give you your money back. That's what happens. Here are the jury instructions. If you decide that plaintiff has proved his or her or its or whatever's claim against defendant for breach of contract, you also must decide how much money will reasonably compensate plaintiff for the harm caused by the breach. This compensation is called damages. The purpose of such damages is to put plaintiff in as good of a position as if the defendant would not have harmed it, if they had performed as promised. So we have this overall notion of what the court is willing to do. But you can still operate outside those parameters, even in the case of a contract, right? For one, your contract can be unlawful. And a number of people ask me this all the time. In California, there are very broad ways in which the California courts can just declare a contract or a contract term unlawful. If that contract is contrary to an express provision of law, if the law says you can't make that contract and you made it anyway, well, you're going to be out of luck when you ask the court to enforce it. Number two, if it's contrary to the policy of express law, though not expressly prohibited. Now we're getting a little dice here. Right? There's a law that's based around the subject matter of your contract, and California has expressed what it feels about this particular subject matter. We didn't prohibit contracts, but you can tell that we don't like them, and so the court won't enforce them. And then, of course, number three, California won't enforce contracts that are otherwise contrary to good morals. That's a tough one, right? You can see it's enacted in 1872. Good morals as determined by the great state of California. You can see how this gets dicier and dicier as you go away from the actual words on the page. That also includes things like fraud. Actual fraud within the meaning of this chapter consists of any of the following acts, including any act fitted to deceive. And the reason I bring up fraud is if you are defrauding the other party, if you are doing something that is intended to deceive them, even in the capacity of a contractual relationship, then you aren't just bound by what we were talking about with respect to damages here. You also might otherwise owe things like we will compensate for all the detriment proximately caused, whether it could have been anticipated or not. Remember in the jury instructions, it has to be anticipatable by one of the parties. Or even worse, if you did fraud, or malice, or oppression, or other very bad things in California, the plaintiff, in addition to his actual damages, may recover damages for the sake of example, and by way of punishing the defendant. That blue and red language on your screen right now are very, very bad. They're almost unlimited liability. The court can impose, if they find you to be a bad actor, oppressive, a fraudster, malicious, we can achieve damages against you just for the sake of example just to make an example of you to other parties so that they don't do these things and to punish you. So those things, fraud, technological circumvention, there are categories, even in a contractual relationship that you can wind up in that are quote unquote illegal. They are against the law, but that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is simple breach of contract. And what does that look like? Well, if you go and you go down the YouTube terms of service and we see, will the spiffing Brit 
be found to have breached his contract with YouTube. Will Hogue Law, obviously, if I put that up, you know where I stand in terms of the practicalities of the situation, that I don't think that it's a breach of this contract. That's not ordinarily what I would do. But could YouTube make a case? We find ourselves in the section permissions and restrictions about how you can use the YouTube service. The following restrictions apply to your use of the service. You are not allowed to circumvent, disable, fraudulently engage with, or otherwise interfere with any part of the service. Now that's the operative portion of that sentence. Does a post like this one, does a recommendation in a video preceding a post like the one the spiffing Brit did, does it fraudulently engage with a part of the service? I think if you're YouTube and you're inclined to just burn all your goodwill to the ground, you could bring that kind of breach claim. You could send a letter that says, Spiffing Brit, you made a video that was intended to fraudulently engage with community posts. You put all these tags in here because you knew how it would operate and you knew that wasn't the way it was intended to operate. And this is a breach of the contract. Now, I'll actually show you a place where I think this applies more specifically that YouTube probably has greater rights, but this is the kind of thing that YouTube could do. Now, you have to read the rest of the sentence to understand that this is really designed to get at hacking, to get at security circumvention. Circumvent, including security-related features or features that prevent or restrict the copying or other use of content or limit the use of the service or content. This section is broadly written to be able to get you if they choose to do so, but it's really aimed at that more specific hacking. Section 5 is somewhat similar. Use the service to distribute unsolicited promotional or commercial content or other unwanted or mass solicitations. Is a post like this a solicitation? If you put in all of those keywords and you want it to go out to more people than you think are even subscribers or interested in your work, is that a quote unquote mass solicitation? You've asked people to participate in a poll. That's asking someone something. That's soliciting something from them. It's not terribly well targeted towards anything. And in fact, you're putting those tags in specifically because you think YouTube doesn't treat them properly. Is that the kind of thing YouTube could bring up? Sure. Section six, cause or encourage any inaccurate measurements of genuine user engagement with the service. Now, this is another area where you start talking about this kind of post. You say, well, if they actually comment on it and if they actually liked it and if they did these other things, that's genuine user engagement. This isn't about paying people to engage with you. That's really what YouTube is worried about. You read the rest of section six, including by paying people or providing them with incentives to increase a video's views, likes, or dislikes, or to increase a channel subscribers or otherwise manipulate metrics in any manner. But note how broadly that's written. If YouTube wanted to make an example of the spiffing Brit, probably they could use language like this to do so. If they wanted to make an example of Hoglaw, probably they could make a case based on these particular provisions. Now, I think certainly in the way this is framed both from me and the spiffing Brit and some others that you might've seen use the polls, I think we're aimed at trying to make sure that YouTube is operating properly. But that doesn't mean that YouTube couldn't just decide to be an antagonistic force and use the breadth of the language of their service in order to get at these kinds of things, which means when you put something up like this, if you're another YouTuber that did this, that put this poll up, if you are the spiffing Brit specifically, then this is the kind of thing that you could get in trouble with. And I do think that the case is the strongest against the spiffing Brit himself, that YouTube channel himself, because he's the one that went out with this information. He's the one that asked people to join him in doing this. He is the inciting event that is surrounding all of these posts and polls that have gone up. And now I personally think that if there was in fact a problem with the waiting, that's overall doing a good service for helping YouTube to more properly engage with its own community. 
But if YouTube were to disagree, then YouTube would have some language to declare a breach of contract. Now, I also mentioned that I thought that they had some stronger arguments, right? And that's within this uploading content section. If you choose to upload content, you must not submit to the service any content that does not comply with this agreement. We knew that. But that agreement includes, by reference, so this is what we call in the legal field, incorporated by reference. Another document just gets grabbed and you can pretend that you can see it all just in this parenthetical statement. The YouTube community guidelines or the law. Which brings us to the community guidelines. I'm not going to take you to that front page, but I'm instead going to talk about spam, deceptive practices, and scams policies. This is part of their community guidelines document. And in that document, it says YouTube doesn't allow spam scams or other deceptive practices that take advantage of the YouTube community. What are some things that do that? Content that is excessively posted, repetitive, or, this is a broad word that probably applies to the situation, untargeted and does one or more of the following, gets clicks, views, or traffic off of YouTube by promising viewers that they'll make money fast. This is one of those areas where I think the spiffing Brit might get into more trouble than others. If you go and you watch that video, one of the things that he says in it is you should do this, not just to show YouTube that it's broken and to hopefully fix YouTube, but because if you do, you'll get thousands of subscribers and you'll make all this publicity. And if you make all those subscribers, that is the implicit promise that you'll make more money through the partnership program, et cetera, et cetera. So when you start talking about statements that are made, that's a closer question for the original video that says, hmm, did he promise viewers that they'll make money fast? That's getting pretty close. Certainly, we're talking about untargeted content. Misleading metadata or thumbnails. Using the title, thumbnails, description, or tags to trick users into believing the content is something it is not. Now, you've got defenses here, right? First of all, none of the words title or thumbnails or description or tags actually applies to what we're talking about, which is a community post. This document clearly wasn't built around the notion that people would be using the community post system. And so we aren't really talking about that. And we aren't really talking about a post that was designed to trick users. It was designed to trick YouTube. But that is misleading in and of itself. That is deceptive. It is untargeted. And does this wind up being a violation of this policy? It could. Now, Just for the record, I don't think YouTube is likely to take action against any YouTubers for just doing these posts and doing these polls and that kind of thing. If they were, I think Spiffing Brit would be first, but I don't think they're likely to take action even there because I think it would look bad for them. This is effectively YouTubers trying to test a theory, trying to potentially correct a problem that someone identified at YouTube, and it's not going to be great public relations. It's not going to be great for their goodwill if they go out and attack YouTubers who are apparently trying to help fix the site and have it perform better. So with that all being said, you've got a situation where you might well have a breach of contract. You might have an argument if you're YouTube and you want to do something against the spiffing Brit because you think that he made you look bad or all these YouTubers made you look bad or you just hate virtual legality and you hate Hoglaw and you want to make an example of me for some reason, then you could potentially say you're in breach of contract for a violation of the community guidelines on spam and deceptive practices or any of the sections that we mentioned above. And we have these very broad rights if we're YouTube. If we reasonably believe that any content is in breach of this agreement or may cause harm to YouTube, our users, or third parties, we may remove or take down that content in our discretion. Now, this is a very, very broad right. We've talked about this right in respect of things like COPPA, in respect of things like other statutes that otherwise affect YouTube and how it operates, that they have this right in their terms of service that says, basically, we can take it down whenever we want. Why does that sentence say that? 
Because if we reasonably believe something at YouTube, that is a superficial belief. It could be whatever they want. It doesn't have to be objectively true to an outside observer. If they reasonably believe it, and if they reasonably believe that something can cause harm to YouTube, they can take it down. Chances are, if they didn't think something was causing harm to YouTube or could potentially cause harm to YouTube, they wouldn't be taking it down. YouTube is in the business of making money, which means if they did take something down, it was for a reason. And that reason was likely because they thought it would harm YouTube in some way. Financially, sure, but just reputationally, just the CEO doesn't like it. Whatever it might be, if they reasonably believe that it might cause them harm, they can take it down, which means that everybody that posts on YouTube, myself included, is effectively acting at the largesse by your leave of YouTube. And that doesn't change just for this breach of agreement. Now, if they do find a breach, they can take your content down. They can also find themselves in this termination section. YouTube may suspend or terminate your access, your Google account or your Google account's access to all or part of the service if you materially or repeatedly breach this agreement. And I wouldn't really classify what we're talking about today, certainly not as repeatedly breaching. It might be materially breaching, but I think that's also a close question. We aren't talking about really significantly bad acts here. We are required to do so to comply with a legal requirement or a court order. Sure, YouTube can suspend your account if the court orders it to. Or, here it comes again, we believe there has been conduct that creates or could create the possibility of creating liability or harm to any user, other third party, YouTube, or our affiliates. And liability is one thing. That's legal liability. That's we could owe money in court. Harm is a broader category. What does harm mean? They want you to think of things like, oh, it could bring our servers down. It could cause all these bad things. It could cause a data breach. But it also just means you could make YouTube look bad or any of its users or any third party or anybody remotely related to YouTube. Like, for instance, Google. And so they reserve the right to take a breach or even something that they think might be a breach and terminate your service and remove your content. And not only that, in case you think that that is the end of the story, no, you can still find yourself, even with this direct language in the contract, under California law, defending against actual damages that YouTube might've received and potentially defending against things like damages that couldn't have been anticipated and punitive or special damages. If YouTube wants to hold you and say that you committed fraud because you used an artifice to deceive under their contract. So look, lawyers, if you aren't familiar with them, if you've never had cause to hire them, good for you. But I am available if you're looking to start a business. If you've never talked to a lawyer, one of our jobs is to parade the horribles in front of you, to talk through all of the very bad things that could happen under a contract, under something else that you would like to do. And so that's a little bit of what I'm doing here, talking about what a situation like this is, not just for this specific reason, not just because I want to talk about what happened with respect to the spiffing bread or, or what happened with respect to my posting of what the spiffing bread put up there, but also for you to think about what could happen in the future, the next time something like this happens, how you should think about it, what possibilities there are. If you're a YouTuber, absolutely. If you're thinking about doing a video like this, I strongly believe that there won't be significant negative ramifications for the spiffing Brit or others that have engaged with this. Obviously, actions speak louder than words. I don't think that YouTube is very likely to do anything here. And I think that there are good defenses for why these aren't violations of their terms of service, especially for those that are specifically inclined to trying to identify problems with the service as presented by YouTube as working for us, the content creators and YouTubers. But it's still worth 
thinking about. So in answer to the question, no, I don't think it's illegal, but I do think it could possibly be a breach of contract. And anytime you're engaged with a platform holder that you don't control, that you could potentially be breaching their contract by doing something, well, it makes sense to think about what that might look like, what the ramifications of it might be for you, and whether or not you want to do that at the end of the day. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon, Streamlabs, a store up now, all of which will be available as links in the description to this video. We are growing and we are happy about it. Thank you so much for everybody who has helped get us to episode 400 here in Virtual Legality. If you don't want to do any of those things, if you can't do any of those things, 2021 is a tough year for everybody and we totally understand that. Just consider subscribing and telling your friends. That is as important as any other step you could take. And we appreciate every single bit of the support that we have gotten and that hopefully we will get in the future. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to this as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.